Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. In this time of coronavirus, there is nothing more uplifting to me than to speak to gifted artists and creative people um, from all around the world. I am so blessed and honored to have with me today a, a couple whom I refer to as the arts power couple. I think they've kind of done it all. Um, my guests today are a husband and wife creative team, uh, John Peelmeyer and his lovely wife, Irene O'Garden. Let me tell you a little bit about John. You will know him because he wrote Agnes of God. That was his first play um, that was staged. He um, was a co-winner of the Great American Play Contest. Agnes uh, premiered professionally at Actors Theatre of Louisville, which production was followed by several productions in 17-month run on Broadway. His other plays include Voices in the Dark, um, Haunted Lives, Courage, The Boys of Winter. I'm telling you, television, scripts, everything. Sleight of Hand, Jazz, and um, Impassioned Embrace, uh, Steeplechase, The Funny Place, Young Rube. Oh, my gosh, I could go on and on and on. <laughs> he has done so many wonderful things in, in theater, movies. Choices of the Heart was one that he did. Sins of the Father was another one. Um, he has received awards and accolades from every part of the arts community. John and I met when he wrote a book called Hook's Tale, his take on Captain Hook from Peter Pan. I am thrilled to welcome John Peelmeyer. How are you, my friend? I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you, Pam. I'm I, great. I think... It's great to talk to you. It's great to be here, and I'm very healthy and well and happy. I'm so glad. Now, the other the other half of this couple is Irene O'Garten. Irene has won or been nominated for prizes in nearly every writing category from stage to e-screen, hardcover, children's books, as well as literary magazines and anthologies. Her critically acclaimed play, Women on Fire, started Judith Ivey and was played to sold-out houses off-Broadway and... Two of its monologues are published by Best Women's Stage Monologues. Her newest play, Little Heart, was about artist 
Farida Kent, which won her a Berlicker Playwriting Fellowship. Um, her lyric essay, Glad to be Human, uh, won a Pushcart Prize. It is now a book which I have in front of me. Um, she has been, her writing has anthologized with Eleanor Roosevelt, Maya Angelou, Gloria Steinem, and others in The Greatness of Girls. She has written a book called Risking the Rapids, How My Wilderness Adventure Healed My Childhood, which is how Irene and I met. She has done so many things. She teaches so many classes. Her poetry is just spectacular. And Irene was a guest host last year during the Miami Book Fair where she interviewed two poets laureate. Irene O'Garten, welcome back to Authors on the Air. Oh, thanks so much, Pam. I'm so happy to be here. It's a, it's a delight to be in conversation with you again. Thank you so much. So, Irene, congratulations on the release of Glad to be Human. I love this book because not only are the short essays so poignant and so meaningful, you've also added art in each of these chapters. So I'm looking now at um, at the, the end of one chapter, and it says, imagine a way in rather than out. Those things are so beautiful. Meaning appears in response to our attempt to grasp it. Tell me how you were inspired to write this book. Well, it's interesting, Pam. Uh, The very foundation of the book is this essay that I wrote called Glad to be Human, which is uh, an outpouring uh, of of reasons that I I was inspired to write uh, a while back. And I began to then do a little bit more writing uh, online, uh, do a little bit more uh, essays from our travels and that kind of thing. And the publisher of Risking the Rapids uh, was familiar with Glad to be Human and really liked it, and she said, do you have some other essays? And so that's how this book came about. Uh, the individual a line like, you know, meaning appears in response to our attempt to grasp it. Those kind of lines to me are are really gifts. You know, it's like the universe whispers in my ear, "Hey, here's an idea. Here's a here's a thought." So I I try to be responsive and take them down. And sometimes they're part of longer pieces. And sometimes they just come up by themselves. <laughs> It is truly a stunning piece of work. Um, you know, I I like to read this type of a, of a book, especially now, when sometimes some of us are feeling a little lost or like we've lost a piece of ourselves. But your book reminded me of all the things that are important to me in my life and how blessed my life is. So um, I want to thank you for that. It's it's just a beautiful, beautiful love, lovely book. Um, oh, thank I, I, you. I want to say I want to read a, a blurb from Elizabeth Gilbert, who is the for those who don't know the author of Eat, Pray, Love and City of Girls. She said for many years now the poet, playwright, and memoirist Irene O'Garten has been a hero to me. I think of her as a walking, writing beam of light. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's, 
so true. It's so oh. true. Um, you know, you. stream your consciousness. I love that. Once you know the rope, <laughs> show them. I mean, these things, it, they, they sound so simple, but if you have any self-awareness at all, they are very powerful. Even love needs love. I, I just adore this book. Thank you for sending it to me. Oh, you're so uh, welcome. John, last I yes. spoke to you, you had just written Hook's Tale, your take on Peter Pan from Captain Hook's point of view. Um, you are almost in the stages of mounting the play, a two-man play for this, and then we got stopped by coronavirus. Right. Um, I turned the I turned the book into a two-person play, and it was to be produced and will be produced by Stages Theatre in Houston. It was to be happening this last spring, and um, that's been postponed to sometime later this year. We don't know exactly when it's going to be at the moment, but it will be happening. So you're you're turning your own book into a stage piece. Um, what is the process of turning a full-size book into a two-person uh, piece for theater? Well, it was a fascinating process because, first of all, obviously I knew the material very, very well. But sometimes I felt, oh, gosh, I know this too well. In turning a full-length novel into what is essentially a 90-plus-minute, a two-hour a piece of theater, there was a lot of stuff that I had to cut that had to be lost uh, and taken out. So it was really a matter of rethinking the entire story in a very, very different way, in a completely visual way, in a physical way. Uh, uh, I had to imagine not only the set, but what were the circumstances that allowed this character Hook to come and tell us his story in a, in a stage, in a theatrical way. Um, and there were a lot of elements to the piece, to the book that I eliminated. I, the, when I wrote the book, I intended the book to be, I think it's uh, certainly suitable for anyone from age 12 and up. But in doing turning this into a piece of theater, I wanted this to be very much of a family piece, so that uh, families, parents could bring their children as young as six or seven to come see this. So there was a lot of darkness, certain amount of dark elements, darker elements in the book that I eliminated from the stage piece. And uh, and I put a lot of, put some, um, you know, poop jokes in it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Things to make kids laugh. <laughs> so you, you had to edit your own work for, for stage, which I think is interesting. But something you said kind of grabbed my attention. And you talked about the sets. So when you are converting a book to stage, the sets have to also be a part of the story that you eliminated from the book. Is that true? Well, I mean, I had to reimagine this this piece as being told on one in one space, in one physical space. What does that physical space look like? Mm-hmm. In this case, I obviously turned it into the deck of a pirate ship. Sure. So uh, that's essentially what the what what our set is will be. Um, there are masts. There's rigging. There's a poop deck and <laughs> uh, things of that sort. And you are writing um, a couple more books now. Is that true? 
Well, yes, I finished. I have finished a draft of a new novel that's kind of a horror novel, a ghost, ah. a ghost story, really. And uh, I have another book that I'm in the process of working on, also. That's something of a fairy tale in very much of a darker sense of that word. So you're writing a horror book. Did this um, idea come to you as you brought the stage production of The Exorcist to the no. UK? It's no. interesting. That's an interesting question. Actually, this story had been living with me for many, many years, and I was thinking about, ah. you know, is this a television movie? What is this? And suddenly I thought, oh, no, 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 maybe it's a novel. And I had started working on this years ago and then just put it aside. And when I pick and um, when I decided to start to turn my my uh, writing time to writing novels as well as plays, I thought, oh, this might be a really interesting second book for me to turn out. So um, I kind of went back into that world and got very excited about it. How fun. Irene, when you and I first spoke, um, we talked about writing The Rapids uh, and your um, difficult childhood. And Mm -hmm. so would you... could you please recall a little bit of the story for listeners and how that oh, sure. book came about? Sure. Um, uh, I, I'm one of seven children in a Midwest, uh, uh, big kind of sprawling uh, Catholic family brought up in the, the middle of the uh, century, in the middle of the country, in the middle of this family. Uh, and and it, it's sort of my vantage point from the middle. Um, uh, our family was challenged by uh, the fact that both of my parents, there were rivers of martinis running through the house. And uh, uh, although I had a very good relationship with my father, my mother was one of those people that had a great deal of difficulty physically and emotionally connecting with her children. So we all had various uh, ways of adapting to that, and and mine was, uh, as a very young child, to begin to overeat. So uh, I struggled with that for many, many years and uh, and have come certainly to peace with it. Uh, But what's interesting is that, and I had a bullying older brother, and so that was part of my pressure dynamic in this household. Mm -hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That brother, a few years ago, died unexpectedly. He was a, he was a troubled person. Uh, everybody had a bit of a challenge with him, but he died unexpectedly at the age of 65. And at his memorial service, the family gathered, and uh, some of us uh, talked about possibly going into the wilderness, uh, kind of as a as a you know as a way to process what had happened and i had a younger brother who'd gone out into montana's wilderness every year for 40 years so he really knew the ropes so he kind of arranged this trip for us and it it, it was not the gentle float down a river that he had told us it was going to be it was a much more challenging uh trip than that but uh there were many family members who were on that and it was actually a, a, a beautiful and a very healing time for us all in spite of the tremendous uh physical challenges uh, happily 
we all got along. But and as you can see, I'm here to tell the story, so it does have a happy ending. But <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, now you also have written um, children's books and mm-hmm. have have won awards. Um, may, uh, let me think. The Scrubbly Bubbly Car Wash and Maybe My Baby are two that mm-hmm. I can think of offhand. And I think, uh-huh. Forrest, what would you like? Tell me how you decided to write children's stories. Well, it's interesting. I have a uh, – my mentor was a wonderful, wonderful friend of mine who has since passed. Her name is Jean Marzolo, and she was responsible for writing a 100 children's books, including the extremely popular I Spy uh, series wow. um, that practically every child is familiar with and every parent. Yes. And uh, she lives in this in the area that where we live here in upstate New York, and she she was a great uh, champion of poetry and of my work. And one day she said to me, "Well, you know, you're a poet. Why don't you write some children's books?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, okay." And maybe my baby was the first one. And uh, and then I wrote Scrubbly Bubbly Car Wash, which is just kind of a lark about going through the car wash. And uh, in the meantime, I began teaching uh, poetry to to children through the River of Words national program, which connects children with their watershed via poetry and art. Wow. So in the course of that work, I, I wrote... Forest, What Would You Like, which is uh, a book for children uh, uh, from the forest standpoint. Uh, what, what does the forest enjoy? So, um, so it seemed kind of a natural extension of my poetry. It really does. I mean, that's interesting. Um, I, I did not realize that's how you got it started. Um, I w- John, I want to talk to you probably about your well- most well-known piece, um, Agnes of God. Would you tell me where that came from and, and the background behind the story? Oh, sure. Well, um, I was raised as a Catholic and certainly was a very good Catholic as a child and knew uh, all of the, the – sort of looked at the world growing up through that context. Well, when I started writing, I had a number of – when I was an adult, I had a number of um, questions that I wanted to write a play about, centered about. Oh, the attitude toward, for example, sanctity and holiness and goodness today as opposed to what it was, say, during the Middle Ages or even prior to that. How has our attitude changed? But I was looking for a storyline on which to – what I described really as a clothesline on which to hang these questions – And one day in New York City subway system, I came across a headline on a newspaper that said, none kills baby. And uh, and so I said, "Ah." I didn't register it at the time, but some short time afterwards, I kind of woke up in the middle of the night and I said, aha, that's it. That's That's the clothesline that I will hang my questions on. I didn't do any research on the actual incident. The play that I wrote is not based, as some people believe, on uh, the actual incident that happened. Uh, I just used that headline as an inspiration for what my story was. And so that's how Agnes came about. And I addressed the questions I wanted to address uh, by telling that story. 
Were you surprised at the attention and accolades that you got as a stage piece and then after it was made into a film? Well, yeah, yes, you never I as a playwright I never you never know what to expect. Um I started out in my career as an actor. I was acting back then and sure. was very much of an actor while I was writing this play. Um and, and there wasn't a part for you in it either. And there wasn't a part for me in it. <laughs> so, um I didn't and I was very young. I didn't know what to expect. It actually got uh when it opened on Broadway it got extremely mixed reviews from the reviewers, but the the public just loved it and ate it up and kept it going. Uh there were some extraordinary performances in that in that um, Broadway production as there were in the original production uh, that happened in Louisville, Kentucky, and um, the, the reaction to it was was extreme and very mixed. So I didn't, I wasn't um, as lauded initially. It wasn't as lauded initially as it actually surprisingly is today. We didn't know what was going to happen to it. So it was. It's hard for me to answer that question because I don't don't know. I didn't know what to expect, and I still don't know what to expect <laughs> as a writer. Well, I you know. Try to write I never, makes me happy. I, I never saw the play, obviously. I don't know if it ever came to Miami, and I was a theater goer quite a bit. Um, but I did see the film, and I remember being shocked because I, too, was raised as a Catholic, and being shocked at the content and being so feeling so much empathy for the character but anger at the same time. Is that a normal reaction, do you think? I think everybody has their own reaction to the play. I think that's why the play is so popular because yeah. everybody has their own interpretation of what it is and what it's about. I'm constantly asked certain questions about that, and my answer is, well, that's up to you. It's not up to me. Don't ask me. You, sure. you know the answer to that better than I do. Well, in an interesting little twist, as you know, the 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 game, you know, six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon, which I call <laughs> all six degrees of se- separation. Meg Tilly, who was the lead actress in the film, is now writing books, and she writes a, yeah. a suspenseful yeah. romance book, and she has been a guest on this show. So, uh, and she's <laughs> delightful. Great? Yeah, it, it all comes around in a circle. I truly believe yeah. that. I, I want to ask you also about the Memory Keeper's Daughter, another very, very popular work. Uh, will you right. talk to me about that, please? Sure. I was asked. I've, I've written something over 25 television movies and miniseries uh, over the years. Yes. And one of those projects was an adaptation of The Memory Keeper's Daughter, which is a wonderful novel that was very, very popular um, and I'm yes. sure still is. So uh, basically, it was an adaptation of the novel that I did that I was hired to do, um, and I I have a, I really enjoy doing adaptations. There was one major change that I made in the in the novel uh, from the novel to the screen, um, but other than that, I try to stick very closely to what the book was. Um, Irene, you also have written. For for stage, haven't you? Uh huh. Tell me about it. Well, what's interesting is essentially, Pam, I am a poet. <laughs> uh, 
but my work takes different forms. They're, they are my poems become essays, or uh, in the case of the play that was done off Broadway at the Cherry Lane Theater called Women on Fire. Those began as a series of what I called persona poems, and yes. these these characters just b- barreled into their own life. Uh, so I I kind of just took notes. They weren't based on any uh, exterior things. They were all coming from within. And uh, it's interesting. I would do various poetry readings, and whenever I would read one of these, people would be like, oh, my gosh, this is great. Do more of these. Do all that. So uh, I began to write more of them, and and I finally had enough uh, to make an evening of theater. And uh, Judith Ivey, who is a remarkable uh, person and actress, got a hold of them uh, because John knew her from uh, an earlier Broadway experience that he had he'd written a play called Voices in the Dark, which she did. Yes. And uh, she was very taken with them. And so together we kind of, first we did it in Nantucket, and then we brought it various places, and uh, the Cherry Lane was quite interested. And so we staged it there, and they extended it a couple of times, and it may still be running if there hadn't been another show that had to come in. <laughs> there you go. Now, again, uh, Six Degrees of Separation, one of my writer friends is Judith Ivey's cousin. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sake. <laughs> <laughs> the, the three of us were meant to be. I want to tell you that. It's so true. <laughs> it's absolutely true. Now, you also teach quite a bit. You give a lot of writing workshops, don't you? Uh, well, most of what I do is, is I do writing workshops for children, poetry and children. I, I certainly have done things for adults, and but I this was where the demand was so strong. So, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and I'm about to prepare a, an online poetry intensive for oh fifth graders in the area because we were our, our organization, uh, the Beacon Institute of rivers and estuaries through Clarkson University was given a grant to to do this and I'm used to doing poetry intensives in the schools but the online sure. is a really interesting uh interesting challenge but I think I'm I've, I've come up with a few uh a few ways to do it so uh, we'll, oh, we'll see fun. what happens but, yeah. um John when you wrote um, about the missionaries in El Salvador, Choices of the Heart was the television yes. movie that it became, um, you were awarded quite a bit uh, for that. You also wrote Sins of the Father, um, when it, and it broke viewer records when it aired on FX and nominated for awards for that as well. Um, do you enjoy working in all the different mediums is there something you would prefer to do more or would you prefer to be a working artist on stage would you prefer to be writing for stage or television (laughs) it's kind of like asking i guess you know which puppy is your favorite so um, (laughs) i love them all and they all have their different challenges and it's kind of also depends to a certain degree on the mood i'm in um Oh. Uh, I right now I'm I'm writing a uh I'm working on a television movie for for lifetime. Uh I'm writing a brand new play uh and have just been commissioned to write another play, another new play. 
I'm working on a new novel, and it's just, you know, I just skip around uh, in terms of the mood that I'm in. And last well, summer, I also started acting again. I'd left acting for a long time, and I decided to that at this time that I your... do something again, and I, you got rave I reviews uh, acted for it. in a new... Pardon me? Yeah, you got rave yeah. reviews, too. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, but I had a great time doing it. You know, um, it seems like you both are juggling a lot of projects at once. And I wonder, um, is it a distraction to have that many things on your plate, or does that fuel your creative fire? Irene? Oh, definitely for me, I think it fuels. It it fuels rather than than splits. Um, Also because I have this central core where really I am a poet. So if the essay, if I'm writing an essay, it's just an extension. If I'm writing a children's book, that's an extension of that. If I'm doing monologues, it's simply an extension of that. And it's fun to be able to play around with form. Uh, yes. Because that's essentially what you're doing. You're just playing with forms. And, yes. but, the, but the meaning and the heart and the passion, uh, that's all the same in whatever form we choose. Interesting. John, how do you juggle all those different things that you're doing? Do they give well, you... Well, when I was um, a child, the unhappiest time that I ever had was when I was bored. And believe me, ever since I went <laughs> oh, yeah. away to college, I have never been bored. <laughs> it doesn't, it so sounds this is like one you're way quite busy. Of, of my keeping yeah. myself from being bored. Um, do, does one project ever overlap with another? And you have to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Wrong page, wrong wrong project. Uh, well, do you ever find your, you you have an abundance of wonderful projects going on. How do you compartmentalize what is happening in each one without them overlapping? You just for me, I just get used to it. I just have my little drawers in my mind that I open and shut as needed. It helps me if I only work on one project a day, but sometimes that's not the case. Um, that's when it's, it, what's most exhausting is when I have to switch project, projects in the middle of the day. I just cannot imagine what inside your mind looks like. Uh, <laughs> your, your creative mind, you know, it, it's, it's like throw everything in the stock part and there's all these different little bits of flavor going on, but it turns out to be just a delicious dish at the end. Um, and Irene, you're the comfort food, whereas John is spicy, <laughs> spicy. You're, you're the comfort food, I think. Um, <laughs> I hope a little more nourishing than lots of comfort food. <laughs> but, but very nourishing, absolutely. So how do you coexist and co-create Irene and you know John's creating and you're creating yet you're coexisting what must your lives be like when all that creativity is swirling around like a water spout in the ocean (laughs) well it's good happily we get along really well and we are each other's first readers and we are uh, each other's deep supports and uh, you know, either of us will drop anything if the other needs help. Um, so uh, it, it's a very natural mix. Uh, I find that I I certainly can sit and focus and write, 
but my my other forms of creativity are also important to me. So I, I I can't just write. I have to do you know I'll have to do like some calligraphy, or I'll have to cook, or right. I'll have to do uh, some other kind of physical uh, physical activity uh, is important to me. But but our our creativity doesn't clash. It it just harmonizes. Lisa, How wonderful. I so, dear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we're not bored. <laughs> no, we are well, not. <laughs> no, I bet you are not. Um, John, how did you meet your wife? Oh, boy. Well, <laughs> the, here's an, the interesting story of this. So I went to grad school at Penn State. Mm-hmm. I left grad school uh, to, for an acting job. I came back to visit the school about a year later and was visiting a friend there, and she said, there's a student production of a play by Landford Wilson called Lemon Sky. Let's go see it. So we went to see it, and there was an actress in it that I was quite impressed by. And it was a cold November, wintry, snowy November night, and my friend uh, gay and I gave this actress a ride back to her home afterwards, and I sat in the back seat of my friend's Volkswagen next to this oh woman named Irene, and we were talking, and I found she was from Minneapolis. And I said, oh, well, my college roommate went to the University of Minneapolis that Irene had graduated from. And she said, oh, he was one of my teachers. <laughs> I said, oh, I'm thinking that's interesting. Six months later, I went back to Penn State for another visit, and I ran into Irene on the street. And I said to her, oh, by the way, I remember you're from Minneapolis. I was just hired as an actor to join the Guthrie Theater's second company, uh, which starts um, in about six months. And Irene said, oh, that's interesting because I'm flying back to Minneapolis this weekend to audition for that company. <laughs> about six months later, ten days before I was to start work in Minneapolis, I was in New York City crashing in a friend's house, and he said, there are some people downstairs who have, had, who have some guests visiting, and they've invited us down for drinks. So we went down, and one of the guests visiting was Irene. <laughs> my oh, first my trip God. to New York, Her by first the way. trip to New York, and she said, oh, by the way, I was hired by the Guthrie uh, for that oh, second company. So we knew that in 10 days we'd be working together, and in 10 days we were. <laughs> That's how we met. It was like wow, you know, the universe, universe saying, kept throwing us yeah. together. Well, <laughs> someone's been this putting thing. this beautiful woman in front of you, and, you know, you're dragging <laughs> yeah. your heels there, John. So, how <laughs> lovely. Hey, I'm a guy. I drag my heels. <laughs> what a great story. See, six degrees of separation again. Uh-huh. Oh, my goodness. Irene, please tell listeners where we can find you on the web and social media. Oh, certainly, please come to irenogarden.com. My website, I'm unveiling a new website uh, probably within the week. So uh, irenogarden.com. You can also find me at Irene O'Garden Poet and Author on Facebook, iogarden at Instagram. And uh, the book arrives on the 19th of May, so if people want to pre-order that is a wonderful thing to do. It is. It's a fabulous book, too, by Mango Publishing. I highly recommend this book. It, it just will give you a warm hug in a soft fleece blanket. It's just that good. <laughs> John, tell uh, everyone you. where they can find you. Where are they? Oh, God. <laughs> I can't find myself sometimes. Uh, My website is 
is is johnpeelmeyer.com. Um, that's the best way to, to find uh, to find me to find out about me. And uh, so and this is what you'll find on John's website: his novels, his bio, his acting, film and television, theater reviews, blog, and publications. The man doesn't have a thing to do. So um, <laughs> and, and Irene has fabulous her bio, her books, her upcoming events. Um, her her book launch hopefully is coming up in May. May we hope we don't know yet if that's going to happen. Um, video It'll probably poetry, be virtual. Yes, video poetry blogs and handmade books, and you'll see. I hope someplace there is a sample of your calligraphy um, under is, handmade books. Yes, under handmade books because. Irene, when, whenever she sends me a note or a book, has the most beautiful, vivid colors of calligraphy that I actually photograph on my phone to keep. Um, <laughs> Irene O'Garden and John Peelmeyer, the arts power couple, I, I just <laughs> adore you both. And I'm so honored that you came back to Authors on the Air. Please Thank come back again. Yes, we are. Uh, anytime, anytime. And, you know, if if you get an, an inkling to try podcasting or hosting, um, please let me know. I'd love to set up an in-conversation. Uh, you, you've done this, Irene. John, it's your turn. Mm-hmm. If there's someone you'd like to interview, it's loads of fun. How great. Yes, it is. Thank you so much, you both. Please be safe and healthy and shelter in love. And I appreciate you being with me. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, readers. And thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.